Now on for a short time this evening to look at Psalm 1. Uh, We read that psalm together. Um, It was, uh, I think it was a translation by O.P. Robertson, who is an Old Testament scholar. Uh, But we have the psalm uh, more familiarly uh, in page 543 of our Pew Bible. And this is, I think, well, this is actually the, the last sermon on uh, this theme for the young people. Uh, although there is a identity next week, but we're meeting in Leith Free Church, so there will not be a sermon based on a psalm. Uh, so we've been looking at psalms with up-to-date themes. And I think godliness is a very up-to-date theme. And I'm preaching to all this evening, including uh, very much, uh, primarily including uh, preaching to myself, but I am making a specific appeal to young people tonight. You can judge whether you regard yourself as a young person, okay? But if you regard yourself as an old person, don't switch off, because the truth will be there. The truth will be there for all of us, and uh, it will be what we need to think about. But I do want to think, I do want to make an appeal very much to the young people with God willing, your lives stretching ahead of you tonight. And I want to make an appeal to you to look for the godly life, the godliness, being like Jesus Christ, however you want to describe that. But godly, it's kind of an old-fashioned word in many ways. But I want you to pursue that. I want you to be young people who are excited by that, who are going to have vision for Jesus Christ, who are going to be influential for Jesus Christ, who are going to be the next generation of the church, who are not going to hide, who are not going to drift, who are not going to backslide and fall away. When the first challenge comes, when the first major crossroad is, is met in your life, I want you to be those who are going to be godly uh, in your lives and follow Jesus Christ. And in order to do that, it's kind of similar to this morning at one level. We need to know God We need to know ourselves, and we also need to know our culture, the culture that we live in. But what I want to ask you this evening as a young person, particularly as a young person, but all of us in our lives, what is the world that you're living in? And by that I don't mean what culture we are, a different question altogether. I mean what is the world you're living in day by day? Is it a world that is inhabited? Is it a world that is lived in the presence of God? Or is it not? That's really what I'm asking. I'm not concerned about wider issues, about theological knowledge, about our church involvement. I'm speaking about the core of your life, the very inner being of your life, where, you know, wherever you go, this core goes with you. This ego goes with you. You know, and I'm asking in that place, are you living in the presence of God in that place in your life? Wherever you go, are you aware of being in the presence of God or not? In other words, does God, does he, has He taken that place of lordship in your heart? Uh, and does He reign in your heart? Or are you in danger of Him being absent from your heart? And that is something that I'd like to think of. Does God reign in your heart and in your life? Or is he absent from that place? 
Now this psalm is about godliness. Well, it's about the contrast, actually, of godliness and not. And uh, the godly person in this psalm uh, is described in verse 1 as being blessed. Blessed. Or uh, maybe happy. Happy is a kind of uh, more accessible word for us to use. Happy, contented, or blessed is the person who uh, is godly, who walks uh, in a certain way. And when the psalmist speaks here about being blessed, being happy, this is a conditional state. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean it's, it's dependent on the kind of lifestyle we live as believers. He's not talking about our, con- our state, our condition, our happiness because we're Christians. Okay? We're all in a special place because we've trusted in Jesus. But he's saying, you will know happiness as a Christian when you live a certain way. It's conditional. It's saying there's, there's blessedness, there's happiness when you live a certain way. He's speaking, remember this morning I spoke up briefly about uh, trusting in Jesus, but I was saying that wasn't irresponsible. It wasn't like denying responsibility for our own life. Well, that's what I mean tonight by saying the blessedness we enjoy is because we take spiritual responsibility, as Billy was saying earlier, for making the right decisions and not going the wrong path. Uh, So it's our responsibility with God's help and dwelt by the Spirit to live a certain way. Then he says we will know blessedness or happiness in our lives, contentment. Can I just give an illustration of that? It's about like happy motoring, okay? Happy motoring will occur when you put the right fuel in the car. If it's an unleaded tank, you put unleaded fuel there, and you'll have happy motoring. The car will run, given all things, other things being equal. Don't do what I have done on three separate occasions, put diesel in a petrol car. Because you'll not be far along the motorway before it stutters to a halt. And you will, not be, you will be unhappy motoring. It will not be blessed motoring. It will be miserable motoring because you put the wrong fuel into the car and it will not run. And so here Jesus, uh, God is saying through his word that we will be blessed when we feed our souls as Christians with the right fuel when we make the right spiritual choices and when we live in the right way. You see, there's a right way. Please don't sit back and and say, you know, oh, God's not given me this or not done that for me and life's miserable because he gives us responsibility and says to us, your children, you're my children now. I want you to live this way. You will know blessing when you live this way. I'm not saying life will be easy. I'm not saying there will not be difficult choices. I'm not saying we will not go through the valley of the shadow of death. But we will know a sense of peace and blessing when we choose the way of life that is responsible, that he wants us to do. And he empowers us to do so. So there's both, in this psalm, as with many, many truths in the Bible, there's a negative element to that. And there's a positive element to that. And so the psalmist begins with this negative dimension which is very clear and very simple, and I don't need to spend much time on that. He says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, 
sit in the seat of mockers. So that's the negative. He begins with a negative because the psalmist knows the human heart. And so there's this responsibility if we are to be godly. And I really want the young people to think about being godly young people. People who have a passion for Jesus Christ. And this is part of the, the dynamic and part of the, the way in which we will find uh, uh, this uh, path of living. The negative dimension is avoiding danger. Okay? He speaks here uh, about the wicked, the sinners, the seat of mockers. And these are really just terms that summarize the thinking and the philosophy. Uh, philosophy, philosophical thinking, uh, the life and the lifestyle that leaves God out of the picture. Okay? So remember I started at the beginning saying, at the core of your life, do you have God there in the presence of your life, or is he not there? You know, not in church, but the privacy of your own heart and of your life. Is God there, the presence of God? Is he guiding and protecting? And are you in re- relationship with him, or is he not? Well, here, the wicked, the, the wicked, the sinners and the mockers, that is a representation of those whose attitudes and lifestyle has left God out. Okay, the ungodly, the, the godless at that level. Those who make no reference to God or to Jesus Christ in their choices, in their lifestyle, and in who they listen to and who influences them and in their behavior. And so they will have a specific attitude in their lives. The wicked, the sinners, and the mockers. Those who are not believers, who have not put their trust in Jesus Christ. They will have a a sinful attitude to worship, to serving, to forgiveness, to the use of their time, to friendship, to poverty, to wealth, to ambition, to relationships, to sex, to drink to pleasure, to holidays, to morality, to ethics. They, they will all have specific, uh, a specific philosophy of life on all of these issues that doesn't have God at the center, that isn't subservient to what God says and doesn't listen to God. And uh, what the psalmist is warning here against is for the Christian to beware of the, these ungodly influences in our lives sneaking up on us. Because it happens so very easily. I know all about that. And I dare say you do as well in your life. That we all know about the subtlety with which we begin to imbibe a philosophy of life and thinking and a relationship without God. So God isn't at the core of our life and isn't at the core of our thinking and we just make choices and we think as if there isn't a God and we don't think in a godly way. And so this ungodliness becomes a series of choices that we make in our lives day in and day out. It's a, reg- a, 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 a how could you call it? A grace regressional. We're regressing away from grace and from God in our lives. He's not there more and more in our thinking because we're imbibing the philosophy and the lifestyle of a world that doesn't have God at the core, on the throne. The wicked, the sinners, the mockers, as it's described here. And there's a regression, isn't there? It's very interesting. It talks about uh, walking and then standing and then sitting. Can you see the the, the regression there? You start by walking along 
with those who think this way, who leave God out of their lives. And, well, you're free to go a different way when you're walking, aren't you? But then you stand and you, you stopped. And when you stop, you're walking along the road and you want to hear something, so you stop so you can listen to it. Then, then you're listening to what they're saying much more. You're taking time to think it and process it. And then you're sitting with them. You're in their company. Their philosophy of life that is without God and without Christ and without all that goes with that has become what triggers you, what makes you think, the influence behind your life and your thinking. That is a subtle and gentle regression of grace. Grace comes away from us in our lives. And we see that, and I've seen that a hundred times. I've seen it in my own life. The older people, and I'm sure Billy would admit to that, he'll have seen it in his life. And uh, the dangers are that it might be in your life as well. Where you, move, you begin to move away. Maybe you move away. Maybe you, may be, for example, made a profession of being a Christian when you were young. Very young. Younger. At home with your family. Your parents were maybe Christians. And then you've come to Edinburgh. And you're away from your parents. And all of a sudden there's a lot of freedom. And you've got a whole lot of new friends that live in this camp. And I'm not saying don't have these friends. Please, for a moment, we need to recognize that. It's important. But they begin to influence you much more and their thinking is what influences you. And you start going to the parties that they're going to and you start thinking in the way that they think and acting in the way that they act. And as you do so, there's a parallel something happening. On the other side, you stop reading your Bible. You're praying less. It's becoming more and more insignificant in your life because you've walked and you've stood and maybe now you're sitting in the council of the ungodly. You've moved away from uh, what you know uh, and where Jesus Christ is. You begin then on that kind of opposite parallel way of living to avoiding Christian company and avoiding church. And you find good reasons for avoiding church. You know, we'll all find good reasons for avoiding church and Christians because Christians are a miserable bunch of failures. And they'll always let us down. And we'll always have 10, 20, 50 good reasons for leaving a church. Because we'll be hurt. Because we'll have been ignored. Because we haven't been understood. Because things are poor and bad and miserable. And we will justify the choices we will have made. To stay away from church. But more importantly, to stay away from God's Word. To stay away from prayer. And all of these things will lead us to regressing in our life of grace. The Christian life all of a sudden seems hugely boring and everything out of our Christian life seems hugely attractive and fun. And we're fed up of this apparent uh, relentless guilt trip that we're being put on by Jesus Christ and by the church. And we want to be free from that. So we move and we start being influenced and listening to and responding to uh, those who the Bible describes as not having God in their lives. The counsel of the wicked, the way of sinners, and the seat of mockers. And what I'm, the scripture is warning there is about the choices that you make now. Can I say young people tonight, at the cusp of your lives, where you're young and energetic and gifted and talented, and I've got so much to offer for Jesus Christ. The, the choices you make now will, will, 
will mold the, the way that you go in life, will, will change your life. And sin is brilliantly tempting. It's absolutely tempting and beautiful in its own way and dangerous. But there will be a great cost to life if you choose to go down that road and ignore this negative which says, do not walk in the council, do not stand in the way, do not sit in that seat. You know, this is really important stuff as God challenges us to think about the choices we make and the decisions that we uh, are making in our lives. Focus on the grace of God and uh, the glory of God, which we'll go on to, to speak about briefly. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of my contemporaries who made profession of faith at the age that I did, 15 and 16, uh, who, who moved their lives out of grace and into uh, this lifestyle without God. And I've seen some of them hobble back, bloodied by their experiences, potentially regretful, often broken, delighted to sense and be touched by grace again. But others remain spiritually in the wilderness. And we stand under God and plead for their souls. So there's a negative focus in godliness, the young people, but there's also a positive focus, thankfully. Thankfully, the negative is only really one verse, and the rest generally is this positive focus about embracing the Lord, okay? Young people, in the focus in the living, there's always a negative. There's always a way not to walk. You will, tomorrow you will have a choice of the way you walk, what choices you make with God or without God, following Him or not following Him, who you're listening to, who's influencing you, uh, what philosophy of life you're taking on board. But there is always this positive element also that is crucial and fundamental, that it's a relationship of love and grace. But we are to be people who delight in the Lord, in the law of the Lord and His law. He meditates day and night. This is the godly person. So the positive element is Jesus Christ. His love and His power and His influence to transform us from the inside out. And to use all the stuff, for want of a more theological term, all the stuff in our lives that we can't change, to use that to transform us and to mold us. Positive element is we take a, a delight. This is a, a relational term. We delight in the Lord and this Redeemer who is ours. And we do so uh, by loving the truth. Delight in the law of the Lord and His law. He meditates day and night. That's really just delighting in, in the character and the, the moral efficacy and beauty of Jesus. Uh, knowing Him through His Word. You know, we've talked a lot in the last few weeks about the Word and the incarnate Word. Jesus is the Word made flesh. The Bible is what speaks about Jesus. All the old and all the new speaks about Jesus. We've got to sometimes unpack that and learn it and find out. Meditate on it. And memorize it. Repeat it. Apply it. You know, meditates 
Uh, you know that really just means murmurs. We murmur, uh, we kind of repeat to ourselves meditation, I guess. We kind of think of transcendental, sort of floating six feet up the air with our legs crossed. It's not really what it is. It's, it's kind of repeating and, and going through and thinking on God's Word. And as Billy was saying, uh, you know, daily do that on his law. Meditates day and night. There's this repetitive, daily relationship with God. And I'm asking the young people if you do that. And if you don't, I'm encouraging you to do that. You know, just as much as you will eat your breakfast, or if breakfast isn't a good example, if you just go for a crispy cream at breakfast, if your lunch or your evening meal, whatever it is that you do regularly, physically, do spiritually with God's Word, it's vital for you. It's vital that you don't rely on other people to do that, that you certainly don't rely on me and just a one or two sermons a week but you rely on that relationship of knowing God because that will begin to, to be what influences you. You know, what is influencing you? Who is influencing you? What are we taking in? We have to be feeding our mind all the time with something. And if we're always in the company of those who don't have Jesus Christ at the core of their lives, then we will find that is what is influencing us. And to counter that, we need to be being influenced by God and His Word and in His truth. And I really want you to think about that, where your heart is, where you're getting your feeding and influence. You find the word boring and dull. Well, I know that's sometimes what it's like for us as young people. Sometimes like that for you as young people. But as you pray for God's blessing and you pray for His eyes to see and you will find him speaking to you and you will find it begins to get delightful and exciting and important in your life. So, loving the truth, being well-rooted in your life, well-rooted in your life. Verse 3, he is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season. Well-rooted. You know the interesting thing about roots? You don't see them. You don't really see the roots, do you? You see this lovely tree or bush or whatever that happens to be there and uh, you see its fruitfulness or you see its leaves green and you see it's healthy, don't you, or, or unhealthy. But you don't really see the roots. And so I'm saying to you again tonight, if I, I want you, God wants you to be godly. He wants you to be His. He wants you to be uh, visionary and, and in the right place and following Him. And He says, in order, He says, no one else will see how you do that because it will be invisible. He's talking this evening. He's challenging about your and my invisible spiritual life. What we're like when all the doors are closed, when nobody sees us, our thought, our thought process, the uh, imaginations that we have, the picture house of our mind, the invisible spiritual life, where are we rooted? He wants us to be rooted by, you know, he gives us that image of streams of water of being in, in the presence of the Holy Spirit and of the energy that comes and the strength that comes from uh, God in prayer and in the, the, the below the surface, what makes you who you are. Nobody sees. Where are your roots? What are you dependent on? What is influencing you at that level? Faith, therefore, becomes something then, when these roots are well-rooted, uh, deep into the truth, 
then you will find that you will be solid and you will be firm. As a Christian, when bad times come, when drought comes, you'll not be dependent on feelings. You'll not even be dependent on a good church or on friends, while all of these things are important. Because you will be dependent. Your circumstances will not govern your godliness. You will be godly because your roots are deep down in God and in a personal relationship with God. Deep conviction. Now that's hugely important for you and important for me and remains important for us. Especially, can I say, when drought comes. Because as a young person just now, you've got lots of young... You're in a very fortunate position here in in the church here in Edinburgh um, because there's a lot of young Christians don't have any other young Christians who they can befriend. So you're in a great time. You've got a great place. There's lots of good things happening. It's easy. In in some ways, many ways, it's easy to be a Christian. But bad times will come. Drought will come. Difficulty will come. And if your roots are shallow, if they're not grounded deep in a relationship with God... And when drought, spiritual drought comes, your, your leaves will wither. And he says, if you're godly, that will not happen. Again, please don't underestimate, I'm not underestimating these difficulties or these droughts or these difficulties that come. But the answer of being blessed is when our roots are deeply grounded in a relationship with God because that means we're... we're Loving the truth, as we've seen, we're well-rooted, and it means we'll also be fruitful, uh, who yields its fruit in season. So if the roots are the invisible side of our Christian life, that I don't see, that maybe your husband and wife doesn't see, that your friends don't see, but that wrestling with God, that praying to God, that speaking to God, that listening to God, all of these relational realities, that's the invisible thing. The visible Godliness is the fruit that people will see. And that is what is good. I want to see young people who are bearing spiritual fruit. I want you to have a a philosophy of life, a spiritual philosophy of life, which is immersed separation. Okay? I want you to be immersed in this world with your friends, with this world and all it is, but to be separate. To be separate in your morality, separate in your conversation, and then that's going to bring tensions. Separate in your thinking, separate in your worship, separating it in your priorities. Immersed separation. Now, that's not a theological term. I've made it up. You'll not find that in any of the books. But to me, that describes Jesus Christ best. A drunkard and a glutton he was accused of being. Not because he was, but because he was immersed, because he loved the lost and he wanted them for, for himself. But he was utterly, utterly separate. He was in the world, but he was never of the world. And he was, in all intents and purposes, the perfect example of coming out from among them and being separate. 
It wasn't a physical, monastic separation. It was utterly moral and uh, Christ-centered and spiritual separation. And that's where we will bear our fruit. That's where we will be seen. And I want you to be attractive, Christ-like, graceful, respectful people, young people who are like Jesus Christ in all your individuality. Godly people. Godly Christians. Godliness. I don't want that to be old-fashioned and uh, irrelevant and for old people. Just. I want it to be for old people too. But that's what's powerful. That's what's going to be attractive. That's what God wants for you tonight. And it is blessed. It's the condition. It's the condition. It's a conditional life. If you follow him, if you don't do, and if you put your roots, and if you are well-rooted and love the truth, you will bear fruit, and you will be blessed. And that also means you will know his protection uh, in your life. In verse 6, the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. Now, I don't know the mystery of God's providence in individual people's lives very often. Uh, it, it is mysterious. But I'm sure from our point of view, as we look at it at least, when you make the wrong choices as a Christian, it can leave you sometimes very alone spiritually. Uh, as it were, because sin does that, it deceives us. It's, God is sovereign and He is looking over everything, but we, we don't have that same promise of company and protection and his overarching loving watch when we choose to walk out of his company. That's a choice you'll make sometimes, and I make. But sin promises everything, and it produces nothing. But Jesus wants us to understand that when we walk his way in godliness, he says, I see you, I'm seeing you. And it's with a loving eye. Now, sometimes you want out of that because it seems too overarching and overbearing. But it's sin that wants us to move out of that loving protectiveness. And it's sin that deceives us. And the way of the godly, uh, along with that protection, has a great perspective of this future. Verse uh, verse 5, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous that we have this assembly to look forward to. This gathering. It's a great word. A gathering would be a good word for it. The Scottish word for it would be a keili. This gathering. This communion. This uh, people. This assembly. This belonging that we have as Christians. Life with God. And His company with His people. And with His eternity at a feast at a wedding, in his home, in a city, and the bliss that goes with that. That is the perspective of the godly, and that's what he wants for us, and that's what he wants us to be. So I close this evening by asking the question, where are you standing? Or maybe even where are you walking? Or I shouldn't shouldn't deflect that question of myself. Where am I standing? Where am I walking? Where am I sitting in my life? But I do ask the young people particularly, what's it to be for you? Are you feeding your faith? Have you stopped 
just thinking kind of God is going to zap you all the time and keep you going without recognizing the importance of eating and drinking spiritually, feeding on Him, praying to Him, reading His Word, considering the company we keep, the philosophy of life that we imbibe, and all that goes with that. It's not about church. However significant and important churches, this is about you, your core, your ego. Is God there? Who is influencing you? Who are you listening to? Who's at the helm of your life? The way of uh, the wicked, the way of sinners, the seat of mockers might be busy just now. It might be popular. It might be well populated and uh, influential and significant. They may be standing now. It may be important and influential. But one day they will not stand. And they will no longer be Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. Where are you taking your influence from? The wicked will not stand in the day of judgment. If we don't believe that, then otherwise Calvary becomes a blasphemous sham. What kind of life is it? I want you to be godly young people. God wants you to be godly young people. It's conditional on obedience, having come to faith in Him and received the Holy Spirit, that we will know that blessing and that happiness. So I hope you'll be able to discuss that a little bit more this evening at Identity, and that you will pray for one another, and that you will uh, spur one another on. I haven't said anything about that, but spur one another on, encourage one another in godliness, pray together, read together, do the things that it's not cool to do. I haven't used any funky young language tonight to try and be hip and happening and bring you alongside. I've left that to Holy Spirit to do these things. I can't really speak your language as young people. I can only speak from God's point of view. But, you know, be encouragers to one another. You know, Billy came up and spoke tonight. He's one of the greatest encouragers in this church. Be like him. Be like Jesus. Encourage one another. Build one another up. And be godly young people. That's where the real courage is. Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord God, I ask and pray for your blessing on our thoughts this evening. And uh, on this great challenge of blessedness. uh, Godly living uh, that knows happiness and contentment. Not because it's a life of ease. uh, But because our roots in good times or in drought Uh, is deeply uh, fixed in the the water of life and in what comes from him and Lord there's no easy there's no easy way out of that other than digging deep and uh, reaching deep into him uh, especially when it's tough and difficult so give us that courage, give us that backbone give the young people that backbone May, may they not feel that everything must come easy may they work out their salvation with fear and trembling knowing the gift of grace is full and free but The life of uh, the saint is is a challenging one. May they be godly. May they be great examples in their workplaces, in their homes, in their universities, in their colleges. Wherever they are, whatever they do, may they stand up for Jesus Christ. Uh, May they nail their colors firmly to the mast. Uh, May they be those who uh, are the future of the church. May there be leaders from among our young people that are going to be 
great in the kingdom of God if there will be such time uh, for that to happen. And Lord, may your spirit guide and keep us as we sing our parting psalm of praise this evening and as we meet together uh, following this, those who meet. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.